Somebody that would not have gotten that question wrong is a man that knows history very well. He's written several books, best-selling books, I might add, on history. Happens to be a New York Times best-selling author, the co-host of Fox and Friends on Fox News, a radio talk show host you could hear every day right here on WABC from 10 a.m. to noon, and the host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade Saturday nights on the Fox News Channel. Brian, it's great to talk with you again. Yeah, Frank, it was great seeing you last Friday. Yeah, you know, I spoke a lot about your chat with uh, our friend Harry Hurley at uh, the Talkers Convention, and I told the folks listening uh, that I'm really amazed at somebody that can have your level of success and still retain the kind of humility. And it seems like genuine humility. It doesn't seem like a put-on at all. What, what is the secret? I mean, you've got presidents calling you. You uh, are, are number one on TV. You're close to number one on radio. you got all these best-selling books. How do you retain – how do you, do you remain so grounded? Because I think some, that's some advice that we could all use some help with. I don't think there's any choice. I mean, I, especially our business. I mean, for example, the Golden State Warriors, if they're to, if they're to lock it up tonight, they got to start from game one again if they want to win another championship. The minute they start next season as if, well, we won last season, we'll eventually win this, then I'm going to make the playoffs. And I know in our business, we watch all these careers, uh, and they look uh, these people look impervious. I mean, they're going to be at the top forever or near the top, and it's just gone. And a lot of it's personal behavior. Sometimes it's just, hey, you get a new news director in, you get you know the, the company changes, uh, the, the, our industry changes. You know, uh, seventy-seven WABC was all AM radio. Now when we're talk, if you talk to management at WABC, they're talking streams. Okay. You got to be able to change. Maybe on streams it doesn't work. Maybe on when you have the TV radio thing, people say, you know, we're going we're gonna to go with somebody else. So to me, the minute you start looking around, saying, look at how great I am, or look at what I have achieved, uh, I, I believe you you get your, uh, you know, you get humbled real quick. And the thing is too, it, all all the success that you were kind enough to point out has all been so incremental. It's happened over 25 years at mm. this job. Mm. So I haven't had to move across the country. Uh, this job just kept getting bigger, and Fox kept getting more important So uh, every day. So I'm just saying I'm, the only thing I give myself credit for is being smart enough to know the grass is not greener. So when I was first doing radio, and I was like, oh, we're not going to be really doing much radio. We might roll out some with Tony Snow, but that's it. I go, I'd like to sub for him. All right, fine. Well, with Tony Snow moved on, I like to be one of the people. Well, we'll put you on with somebody else. That was Judge Napolitano. Okay. And then, okay, we'll give you a shot by yourself. We'll see how that goes. And then all of a sudden, we had started adding stations. We'll see how it's going. And next thing you know, 20 years have gone by, and we, we had all these stations. And the, and the biggest one is 77 WABC because you and I grew up in this area, and ABC is the gold standard. And to be on here and, and not to tell people, yeah, go on, you know, go to the app and you can listen. Now I'm on Long Island. People I know in New York City, I go, yeah, you know, you know, don't worry about the app. You just listen to ABC. And to be able to travel the country. And when I go to St. Louis, he's on WABC in New York, the 50th, and and that still in other cities. It's been a hallmark. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no. if I take that for granted one day, there's so many great people that want that slot. So I have to, in my mind, Frank, I'm just trying to hold that slot every day. Uh, Sunday is uh, Father's Day. I know you've spoken a great deal about uh, fatherhood, and uh, you have uh, you, you've written about it, spoken about it on TV and radio. You're a father of three. This is my first Father's Day as a father. So give me some advice now that I'm in the Father's Club. What, what do we fathers do on Father's Day? Uh-huh. Uh, 
Well, how how long have you been a dad? Six uh, six months. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's a lot different. Six months than six, than twelve, than eighteen, than twenty two. My <laughs> my kids are now. Um, I go eighteen, twenty one, twenty four. Uh, 25, excuse me. So it's a lot different now. Um, I mean, uh, to me, I should be giving presents to them. Mm. It's by far uh, the most rewarding and the most natural. I'm not saying I'm naturally good at it, but the most, the natural thing, for example, like when we're coming up in our 20s, you're thinking to yourself, I want to move my career, I want to get a house, Mm -hmm. you want to meet that right person. This is the only time where it's natural to stop thinking about yourself on a daily basis. All you do is think about them. And if they're having a bad day, they're struggling in school, they're struggling with friends, they're struggling in sports, you can't get out of your head. And it's, just, and it's a, almost a good feeling to like, care about somebody else so much more than yourself. Um, I, I was almost relieved that it was instinctive. And I felt the more I talk to people, it's the same thing. You just, every time you're with your friends now, you never talk. In the beginning, it's, you talk about yourself maybe in your 20s. Now all you do is talk about your kids and the challenges and and how they're interacting and if they get a new friend and they have a great relationship or if they make a team it kind of makes your week your day your year so it's it's good to care about something else much more than yourself naturally uh let me t- ask you about what's happening this week with this uh, January 6th committee uh you've been pretty vocal that you think it's politically short-sighted for president trump and his supporters to keep hammering home the uh, election fraud of the uh, the 2020 election that narrative but uh, i got to get your take on what we're seeing from the January 6th committee thus far what do you think a couple of things uh, they, they did themselves a disservice by not letting Jim Jordan and Congressman Banks or whatever two formidable, knowledgeable, smart people would have done on the other side. For example, Frank, it does no good if you're a Giant fan, just hearing from Giant fans mm. who think they're going to go undefeated this year. What you need is people to really look at the team to decide what they need. And when you look at the January 6th committee, they keep saying the same thing over and over again. They don't. As soon as they see a 12-second edit of William Barr, I wonder, what about the other three, (laughs) four, five hours? What else did he say? And what I'm seeing this stuff is, you know, when you roll clips of his of his campaign manager saying these things, I know it already. We read it that day. We know that uh, Ivanka uh, and Jared left right after. We know that they didn't think it was rigged. I know that William Barr didn't think it was rigged. So what are you doing? Mm. Now, if Jim Jordan got up there and and like I saw Rachel Maddow, I ran this out the other day. I didn't. I don't deserve any credit for it. Uh, the producers found it because I don't watch MSNBC that much. But Rachel Maddow says there's a huge difference between having a rally. And then going all that distance and then raiding the perimeter of the Capitol. So you at least have to say it's not like the rally was the riot. The rally was allowed. The permits were given. And they were even allowed to go there. But they weren't allowed to breach it. And who are these guys in camouflage? Are the Proud Boys and the others different from Mr. and Mrs. Johnson Mm -hmm. who were upset that Trump lost? You never hear that side. Rachel Maddow said that. So I don't think, I mean, and especially, Frank, we're not getting new revelations. If they're going to come out and say, uh, Donald Trump needs to be indicted, well, get in line. The Attorney <laughs> General in New York thinks he needs to be invited. The Attorney General in Georgia wants to see if he was like some meddling. There's nothing there. And what you do is you're going to make a judgment on Trump uh, when he runs. He's clearly going to run for re-election uh, to, to run again. 
So you're going to make it a judgment on Trump. You've already made it. I don't know who you're converting. You really aren't converting. And I think that by by this is what's killing Liz Cheney. Adam Kinzinger, we know, was in a district that was going to be districted down. That's not redemption. That's not because he voted for Trump. That's just where he is in, in, in Illinois. But with Cheney, if Cheney went out and said, listen, I fault Nancy Pelosi when it comes to the security. I have a stats here showing that they requested 20,000 National Guard members. And by the way, this is one thing that isn't true. Trump did say peacefully and patriotically go down. If she had just straddled the line and put her hatred – uh, of Trump aside and stopped acting like Adam Schiff and started acting like the conservative who's upset at the president, I, I think she would have done so much better for herself. Now she's going to lose by about 15 points in a place that her family's treated like royalty. So I, I really think the thing that's hurting them as well is that what are people talking to us about on the radio? Inflation? They're talking about uh, they're talking about now interest rates. They they they're now all of a sudden they got to put off getting a house or a car. Which by the way you can't get a car because you don't have enough chips to be able to sell them. You go to a, a, a lot instead of five hundred cars, they have five or fifty. So everywhere we're feeling the economic pinch, and we're not we're thinking less and less about January six because these aren't the you know these aren't the Trump years. We aren't doing good economically. We aren't worried about trade deals. We're worried about survival and baby formula. So that's really not capturing an additional audience. And now today at twelve, Frank, you're going to be sleeping. Most people are going to be working, right? I'm going to be just gonna, who's watching today at noon? A very small subset of people, most of which have already made up their mind. So I think they're making a big error. The other story that's percolating is the amount of money that's going to so-called candidates who believe the election was rigged for against Trump. And they're being supported by Democrats. Democrats, as right. Paul Rove writes in the Wall Street Journal, are financing these fringe candidates to win their primaries to try to give themselves some semblance of survival in November. How cynical is that? It's true. You're even seeing that in New York and New Jersey uh, to some extent. How did you how did you feel about your texts sort of being used in the uh, in the run up to the uh, investigation of this whole thing? There was uh, there's been a lot of attention paid to these text messages that you sent uh, purportedly to Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, where you said, uh, again, allegedly that uh, this uh, the president's got to do something and this jeopardizes all of his agenda. How did you feel about that being out there? What you, I'm sure, thought was a private communication being displayed for the whole world? Well, a couple of things. I regret that I was off the next day uh, to explain it. And by the time I came back, they said uh, management said, let's just let this go. I'm not embarrassed at all by it. I mean, if if I saw something going wrong with uh, I, I want to take action, you know, whether it's, you know, a friend of mine being beat up on the subway, I'm going to jump in. Um, I, I see this going on. I don't think there's any way that to this day that Trump wanted this to happen. And I could not believe I wasn't hearing anything. I, I'm friends with Mark Meadows. I'm, I'm able to get interviews and insight and help help my show on a daily basis by texting Mick Mulvaney, by texting Mark Meadows. Is this true? Uh, you got what is the mood in the White House? So, and they said, yeah. If you ever need anything, call me. You know, I'm a hosting for Tucker. They need answers on something. I go, guys, in the break. Let me just. I'll just text the White House. I don't have that access anymore. I didn't have it with W, but text messages weren't as big back then. Mm-hmm. But I did have people I could call. 
uh, thankfully because I have a, a great job that gives me that allows me to create these relationships. I did not know that Liz Cheney was going to do that. I'm also friends with her. She worked at Fox, so I used to talk to her all the time. And I'm, I thought Dick Cheney did an unbelievable job as Secretary of Defense and Vice President. Not perfect, but man, is he smart and experienced. So I got friendly with him, but I don't have a cell, but I have Liz's cell. She would, she would often say to me, I'll get you an answer. I was shocked that they let it out, but I'm not embarrassed about the context. I care about the country first. Can we please get these lunatics out of the Capitol? You know, and when you chant, I hang Mike Pence, that's a little bit of a problem. You know, I'll, be, I'll tell you guys, I text Mark Short, too. I go, Mark, is the vice president okay? He's the chief of staff of the vice president. Why should I be embarrassed by that? I I, I don't think I should. Uh, do you, I mean, do you? No, no, certainly not. Uh, certainly not. Uh, but, uh, again, sometimes uh, people just aren't crazy about the idea of, of private communications being uh, or mess- communications that are intended to be private being displayed for the world. Speaking of Mike Pence, apparently the hearing today is going to focus mostly on on his role in this whole thing. When this is all said and done, and, you know, Mike Pence may very well be a presidential candidate himself, if not in 2024, uh, sometime after that. When this is all said and done, how do you think Pence comes out looking? Well, Trump, uh, you know, people are going to be people, you know, the Trump people listening to me right now, and a lot of them listen to you. And congratulations on the success of your show. Thank you. Everybody's talking it. about it. Um, but, um, I think that people are always going to side with uh, with Trump over Pence. He's more famous. He's more popular. But there, uh, but I thought uh, Mike Pence taking command, uh, trying to end this riot. Uh, you know, uh, not running from the Capitol building, doing what he was supposed to do. He had no control. I don't care what Steve Bannon says. He had no control. He did the right thing. I think he looks good. I think he's going to run for president. Uh, if he goes against Trump, he won't have a shot. But anybody listening to President, anybody who likes President Trump, who thinks that the vice president wasn't one or two of the most important people to President Trump during this entire time, if think about him running the pandemic operations compared to Kamala Harris, he's as good. He was as Dick Cheney was as valuable to Bush as Mike Pence was more valuable to Trump. And it bothers me that you know that Trump's turned on him to the degree he was and asked him to do something he wasn't capable of doing, I thought that he came out looking great. How do you think? Do uh, you well, think? I mean, look, I think uh, we'll see what the, these hearings uh, display, but I, I agree with you. I, I don't understand the notion that uh, that he had discretion to choose which electoral votes to count. I, I mean, to me, it makes no sense, and I'm surprised, and, and I voted for President Trump twice, but I'm surprised so many dyed-in-the-wool uh, Trumpians subscribe to that narrative. I, I just don't get it. Uh, before I let you go, I got to get your take on what happened in Texas. We see uh, a, a seat that has been a Democrat for, I think, over a century. Um, Republicans picked that up, and this seems to be the latest episode of a trend of Hispanic voters. And we saw this in Florida, and we've seen this in a lot of different uh, places around the country moving towards the Republican side. In your view, is this a result of the Democrats uh, sort of taking the Hispanic vote for granted and not understanding what Hispanic voters really care about? Or is this a result of successful outreach on the part of the Republicans? Uh, I think it's anti-Democrat, uh, and I think it's just clear that Republicans do want the border enforced, uh, do go for family values, even though they don't demonstrate it in everything they do. Um, uh, you know, I, I do think that they offer hard work and capitalism, but they're not doing it to woo Hispanics. They're doing it because that's who they are. 
and I'm not saying there's no socialist among the, the Trump fans. There's no socialist that I know of that are Republican. So most of these men and women are fleeing horrible governmental situations uh, outside the gang members and the MS-13. They're all over Long Island listening to us right now. But I, I just <laughs> think that they what they present is something that is more towards traditional Hispanics. What they, what I think Democrats thought is they were going to retain the Hispanic vote if they continue to fight for their instant citizenship, like they retain for mysteriously the Jewish vote in America, because Harry Truman was the one to deliver Israel as a uh, as a country and homeland. He delivered at the UN after World War II, and forevermore, Democrats get credit for these. They they can Republicans, despite that they're much more loyal. Uh, to the Israelis, the American Jewish vote always goes to Democrats. They thought they were going to get that. And, Frank, my theory is that the only way to to enforce that border is for Democrats to realize every person that comes across will eventually be Republican. All of a sudden, you're going to watch Chuck Schumer with a screw gun putting up that wall uh, on the southern border. He's going to go, you know the most thought of it? Our security does matter. So that's, that's very maybe funny. some level it'll work. That's very funny. Hey, uh, there's been a lot of criticism of this new Saudi golf tour, and I've been critical of the Saudi government very much so. But I, I thought it was wrong for the PGA to suspend the golfers that have um, agreed to participate in this Saudi-backed golf tournament. Uh, give me your take on this in a nutshell. My take, and I'm, I'm kind of friendly with Greg Norman, uh, my take is this. This is more USFL against the NFL in the 80s. Uh, this is more WFL in the 70s taking on the NFL. This is more the ABA taking on the NBA than it is the Saudis against the Americans. And I, I, I was stunned to see that, you know, the, the PGA allows the, the Saudis fund the European tour. That's perfectly okay. The Saudis have their own tournament. That's perfectly okay. Uh, we know the, the, the UAE does not allow, uh, makes it, if you're gay, excuse me, in Qatar, if you're gay, it's illegal. Uh, they use slave labor to build the World Cup stadium, but FIFA is A-OK with that. I mean, we're watching Manchester City owned by these uh, Arab family members, these royal family members over the UAE. We know that Newcastle FC is being bought by one of these Saudi princes. Nobody has any problem with that. But when a world sport, which is golf, decides to start their own league fronted by an American legend, uh, we all of a sudden say, well, that's got to stop. Really? Well, the president's going there in two weeks to beg them to pump oil. Really? We just supplied them with a cutting-edge weapon system to prevent rockets coming there from Iran and from Yemen. Really? We, uh, we now use them as a wedge uh, to, to make the Abraham Accords work as more and more of these Arab nations start recognizing Israel's right to exist. So all of a sudden, when it comes to golf, that's where the rubber hits right, the road. Right. It, Come it's, on, it's, it's guys. Absurd. Really? It's absurd. Hey, what's coming up on uh, television, on Fox and Friends? What's coming up on radio from 10 a.m. to noon? Well, John Castamatidis, who owns, uh, owns WABC, I've heard of he's him. joining me at 6.30 yeah. uh, he, uh, on, on TV. He's going to be talking about owning refineries as well as supermarkets and what the president's letter meant yesterday when it comes to oil and gas. Um, we're also on... On radio, we're going to have Tom Glavin, uh, the legendary pitcher. Cool. Uh, he's going to be talking about this this celebrity golf league, ironically. Congressman Jim Banks, why he's not on the tour, uh, why he's not on that uh, January 6th committee, which goes back today at noon. And we'll talk about the economy with Brian Rotella and talk about this re Republican quest to take the Hispanic vote with Rich Lowry. Brian, All coming your way. it's always a treat to be able to spend uh, the morning with you. Uh, we'll be watching on TV and listening on radio. Thanks again.
Uh, congratulations to all you uh, have done, Frank. Keep it going. Appreciate it. Brian Kilmeade, uh, if you watch Fox & Friends this morning, uh, you can see our boss, our owner, El Capitan, John Katzmatidis at 630, and uh, catch Brian on radio from 10 a.m. to noon right after Bernie and Sid. 15 seconds of fame next. Uh, your calls on any thoughts, any suggestions, any comments, any questions, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. 